It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Election College, Episode 91. Aaron Burr, the guy who shot Alexander Hamilton. Let's throw a political party. Face it, the political scene sucks, but did it always? It's time for election college, and class is in session. Now, your hosts, Jason Goff and Ben Smith. Hey, Jason. You know, you and I and Aaron Burr have a really contemptuous relationship, the three of us. Yeah. Uh, we've, we've always poked fun at Aaron Burr and called him a scoundrel and, and pretended to, to have really bad things to say about him, which, you know, there's some bad things to say about him for sure. But, hey, we I think we kind of forget he was a vice president of the United States. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. I enjoyed doing research for this episode because <laughs> I didn't think I was going to because, I mean, I've been pretty much calling him Aaron Burr the whole time instead of, okay, there's a guy named Aaron Burr and he was vice president and he did some other things. So I'm glad that we're actually going to talk about him a bit today. Hey, so this is part two, by the way, for anybody. It's it's called Aaron Burr, but uh, Alexander Hamilton, the last episode we did, episode 90, if you haven't listened to it, you should go back because we're going to tie all of them together here in a little bit. Uh, at least hopefully we do it in a, in a good way that makes sense. But anyway, this is part two. Go listen to part one and then come back. So Aaron Burr was born in Newark, New Jersey in 1756. He was the second child of the Reverend Aaron Burr Sr., who was a Presbyterian minister and the second president of the College of New Jersey in Newark, which later on in 1756 moved to Princeton and later became known as Princeton University. Yeah, and Burr's mother was actually the daughter of Jonathan Edwards, who was a, a famous pastor, a Calvinist theologian. Aaron's father died in 1757, and then his mother died the very next year. And so he and his sister were orphans, and they're orphans at two years old. So his life already starts off a little bit rocky. Yeah, even his grandmother dies in 1757, and Jonathan Edwards passes away in 1758. So Aaron and his sister Sally go to live with William Shippen and his family in Philadelphia. And in 1759, the children's guardianship was assumed by their 21-year-old maternal uncle, Timothy Edwards. A little while later, uh, around age 11, Burr gets rejected before he gets accepted to the class of the College of New Jersey. And he actually gets to go at age 13. Um, he's pretty good student. He studies really well. And he joins up with the American Whig Society, which, you know, those are political societies at the time. 
He gets a Bachelor of Arts in... 1772 when he's only 16 years old and he actually studies theology just like his grandfather and his father before him even though he didn't uh, know his father for another year and goes and gets a bunch more theological training uh, from a presbyterian pastor two years later he moves to connecticut to study law with his brother-in-law tapping reeve who was sally's husband his sister so get that brother-in-law <laughs> and so in 1775 Ehrenberg gets word of the clash between British troops at Lexington and Concord, or Concord, and Burr quits studying for a while and enlists in the Continental Army. Yeah, so during the Revolutionary War, Ehrenberg actually went to Quebec on uh, Colonel Arnold's expedition, and it's like not great terrain. <laughs> uh, it's actually now what is Maine. And they go to Quebec and Burr gets sent up the river to talk to General Montgomery. And he actually escorts him to Quebec. And Montgomery is like, hey, Burr, uh, you're captain. And Burr starts doing lots of stuff that ends him up on Washington's staff. But he doesn't last real long. He quit in a couple of weeks because he wanted to be back out on the battlefield. Right. Uh, later on, General Israel Putnam uh, took Burr under his wing. They go to Lower Manhattan and into Harlem, and Burr saves an entire brigade, which included Alexander Hamilton. He saves them from capture after the British landing on Manhattan. And you would think Washington would be really pleased with that and promote Burr, but that didn't happen. So although Burr was already a nationally known hero, he never received a commendation from Washington. So Burr was infuriated because he didn't get recognized by Washington, and it really led to an estrangement between the two. A little while later, Burr gets promoted to colonel or lieutenant colonel in July of 1777, and he actually picks up leadership of a few different regiments. He gets about 300 men under his direct command, and they're really successful. They go and they do a lot of nighttime raids. Uh, they do raids by water in Manhattan. It's kind of weird to think, like now, obviously it didn't look like this at the time, of Manhattan being under siege <laughs> and there being battles taking place in like Times Square. Right. That's just <laughs> interesting to me. Uh, but anyway, the... Um, uh, the battle rages on, and Bird does well. He continues to move up through the ranks. They do get destroyed at one point by the artillery. Bird gets heat stroke, uh, but he keeps coming back. And he's a tough guy until he resigns from the army in 1779, just because he's got bad health and eh, he decides maybe laws more for me again. Yeah, he continues to be active in the war effort. He does some work for Washington in the areas of intelligence, um, going out on intelligence missions and helping out generals like Arthur Sinclair. Uh, in 1779, he rallies a group of Yale students to defeat the British. And despite all of this going on, he finishes studies. He's admitted to the bar in 1782, he gets married, and then he practices law in New York after the British get out of there. Jason, a really interesting fact about Aaron Burr, he marries Theodosia Bartow-Prevost, and she's actually a widow who has five children, and she's 10 years older than him. 
And um, it's interesting mostly because her first husband, the one who died and made her a widow, was Jacques Marcus Prevost. Or I don't know how to say the last well name. It's probably there. French, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but he's actually a British ar- uh, army officer. So Burr, a, a patriot, a man who served in the Revolutionary War, marries the widow of a British officer. I just think that's interesting. Yeah, it is. So the Burrs, they have one daughter who lives into adulthood, um, also named Theodosia, and she was born in 1783. And she's brought up. She marries Joseph Alston, uh, who's from South Carolina. They marry in 1801. They have a son who died at 10 years of age. And in the winter of 1812, 1813, Theodosia was lost on the schooner, um, the Patriot, off the coast of the Carolinas and was either murdered by pirates or shipwrecked in a storm. We don't know. That's definitely a bummer for Burr. He actually fathers two illegitimate children. And there's pretty good word that they may have been the offspring of a woman from Calcutta who worked as a servant in Burr's household. So, you know, this seems to be a trend (laughs) uh, with some of our founding fathers is that if they have someone who works in their household or maybe works closely with them, maybe they're going to have an illegitimate child with them. I mean, that seems to repeat itself many times. Yeah. It's kind of interesting because Jean-Pierre Burr uh, became an active member of Philadelphia's Underground Railroad, and he served as an agent for the abolitionist newspaper called The Liberator. And he worked in the National Black Convention Movement and he has quite a legacy. It's extremely interesting to go and do some reading about Jean-Pierre Burr because this guy lived his life as an African-American, had so much to do uh, with the abolitionist movement. And um, I would say if there's anything from Aaron Burr's legacy, uh, Jean-Pierre is fantastic. This is amazing that this man was born and lived and did so much. Hey, so uh, Burr, getting into his legal and political career, he actually serves in the New York State Assembly from 84 to 85. Well, 1784 to 85. I guess that's important to clarify at this point. (laughs) Uh, He gets pretty heavily involved in 1789 when he gets appointed as the New York State Attorney General by uh, Governor George Clinton. And actually, in in 1791, we mentioned this in the last episode, if you were paying attention, he was elected to be a senator in New York and actually defeats Alexander Hamilton's father-in-law, Philip Schuyler, for his seat and serves in the Senate until 1797. So Burr runs for president in the 1796 election. He comes in fourth. He was only 30 votes behind John Adams, Thomas Jefferson, and Thomas Pinckney. And... At that time, keep in mind that members of the Electoral College cast two ballots but did not specify an office. So it wasn't that close, but Burr was shocked that he didn't win. He believed he had arranged with Jefferson's supporters for their vote and that he would be Jefferson's VP. But a lot of Democratic-Republican electors ended up voting for Jefferson and nobody else In other words, we like Jefferson, we don't like Burr. Yeah, this didn't 
sit terribly well with Aaron Burr, and um, we'll, we'll see that later and in the past and everything in between. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so uh, Burr gets appointed as a commanding general of the U.S. Army and the forces by John Adams in 1798. And Burr actually applied to be the brigadier general during the war with France, or the quasi-war with France, I guess, if we're going to get specific. And George Washington actually said, no, um, I, I think he's a, a good guy. He's probably a pretty good officer, but he uh, he doesn't have equal talents at intrigue. And in this war, that's pretty important. Yeah. And keep in mind, Washington was very much influenced by Alexander Hamilton. So Hamilton did not like Burr at all. And Hamilton describes Burr as the most restless, impatient, artful, and unprincipled intriguer in the United States and goes on to just lambaste the guy. So Hamilton did yeah. not like Burr. <laughs> Burr is restless, just like Alexander <laughs> Hamilton said. And he gets bored with the Senate and he decides he wants to be elected to the New York State Assembly. Uh, lots of crazy stuff happens, but during John Adams' term as president, this is when all the parties become defined and Burr, Burr is like, you know what, I think I think I'm actually a Republican, or I guess as we now call them a Democratic Republican. And he had previously basically been a Federalist and had a lot of, you know, close friends who were Federalists and really believed in a lot of the same stuff as the Federalists did. But he gets kind of roped into being a Democratic Republican. Burr is doing his thing. He becomes a very key player in New York politics, and he really converts the t the Tammany Society, which ultimately becomes Tammany Hall, which we've talked about, which actually was influential in New York politics until the 60s, the 1960s, that is. Uh, Burr converted it from a social club into a political machine. And this actually helps Jefferson get elected to the presidency. In 1799, uh, we talked about Hamilton having some stuff to do with banks. So did Burr. He actually founds the Bank of the Manhattan Company, which, you know, everybody knows the Bank of the Manhattan Company, right? Uh, you probably know it better by the Chase Manhattan Bank or maybe what it turned into, which was J.P. Morgan Chase, which, uh, you know, that's kind of a big deal these days. In September of 1799, the, the same year, Burr's like, hey, I'm going to have a duel with this guy named John Barker Church, who just so happens to be the husband of Hamilton's wife's sister. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> Hamilton's sister-in-law's husband fights a duel with, with Aaron Burr. And basically, the guy says Burr took a bride from a company to use his political influence for them, which never happens, of course. Yeah, it's crazy about this duel because Burr and Church, they fire at each other and they both miss. And afterwards, Church is like, oh, that was wrong for me to have accused Burr without having proof. And Burr said, hey, no problem, dude. And the two men shook hands and ended their dispute. So, <laughs> hey, I'm going to kill you. Oh, well, I shouldn't have gone that far. Okay, it's all right. It seems like a lot of the, the duels I read about like neither one really has the intention to kill the other one. It's just about 
performing better in the duel but a lot of people still die like i know I, if i want to kill somebody they're i'm probably not gonna like shoot them to the ground or something but we'll get into <laughs> that kind of thing later <laughs> yeah so i mean everything all signs point to hamilton and burr hating each other <laughs> on the political scene we talked in the last episode just about how hamilton would really diss Burr um, while he was in his role in the Washington administration. And uh, Hamilton didn't like how Burr founded the bank. Um, Burr solicited Hamilton and other Federalists' support under the guise that he was establishing a badly needed water company when, in fact, that wasn't the case. He wanted to start a bank. And it's kind of interesting because uh, Hamilton and other supporters believe Burr acted dishonorably in deceiving them. Burr's manipulations actually delayed the construction of a safe water system for Manhattan and likely contributed to even more deaths that had happened during a malaria epidemic in the city. Yeah, not cool, Aaron Burr, not cool. The... 1800 elections coming around and New York needs to choose the presidential electors. And before the legislative elections in April of 1800, the state assembly is controlled by the Federalists. And New York City elects a bunch of different assembly members on an at-large basis. And Burr and Hamilton are basically key campaigners for their parties, which, by the way, they used to be on the same party and now they're split. Burr is Republican and pretty much gives the party the control of the legislature. And all of the New York electoral votes go to Jefferson and help win him the 1800 election, which really makes Hamilton and Burr even further apart from each other. So Burr becomes vice president. We talked about that in the last episode and also a long time ago back in the 1800 election episode. What you need to know is that Hamilton is very influential in making sure that Burr becomes vice president instead of president. And it's kind of interesting because Burr is actually known as the father of modern political campaigning. He gets the Tammany Hall going. He's gaining um, all kinds of influence as far as getting onto the presidential ticket in 1800. Um, back then, a lot of state legislatures chose the members of the Electoral College. Um, and that's how, like Ben said, Jefferson rose to the top in New York. And that led to that crazy controversy in 1800 when Burr tied with Jefferson. So fast forward, Burr is vice president. He's not real happy about it. Jefferson is president. He's not real happy with Burr. <laughs> so he pretty much knows that, yeah, Burr's not going to uh, to be my vice president in my next term if I run, and I'm going to run. So, yeah, I'm going to shut him out of everything. And Burr knows that. He knows he's shut out. He's doing his other things, though, being the leader of the Senate. And yeah, he actually does some pretty decent stuff in the, as the leader of the Senate. But he just knows my time as a leader of this country is is up. Yeah. So... In 1805, Burr gives the stirring speech and before the Senate and like his harshest critics are in tears because they're just like, oh my goodness, this guy is an awesome speaker, but he's still out of there. And 
you can imagine that Burr's pretty upset with Hamilton because Hamilton is dissing Burr all over the place in Burr's desire to be governor of New York in the upcoming election. Right, yeah. So Burr knows, I can't get VP. I might as well run for governor. And Hamilton's like slinging mud all over the place saying, um, yeah, I, I don't think you should vote for him. Uh, he's He's pretty much a scoundrel and he shouldn't be trusted with the reins of government. And really, there's no reason anybody should vote for Burr. And so guess what? Not enough people do vote for Burr and he loses the election. And now he hates Hamilton even more. And he decides, hey, Hamilton, uh, you need to retract all these statements you made about me because they're not true. Yeah. And Hamilton, he's already disgraced, right? Because of this um, affair that he had with Maria Reynolds. And he still sees himself as, well, yeah, I messed up. Hamilton says this. I messed up. And you know what? Burr's an even worse scoundrel than anything I've ever done. So Burr challenges Hamilton to a duel, and Hamilton is like, let's do it. So they do. They uh, go to New Jersey, Weehawken it is, on July 11th, 1804, and the reason they go to New Jersey is because dueling had actually been outlawed in New York. If you were convicted of dueling, the penalty was death. <laughs> uh, in New Jersey, it was it was still illegal, but the penalty wasn't death. So they decided to go to New Jersey. And here's an interesting point we didn't mention in the Hamilton episode. Hamilton's son had actually had a duel two years beforehand and had been shot and killed and so Hamilton's like, how about we go to the same spot and use the exact same guns that my son died? That sounds like a great idea. That That's a really good idea. It's kind of crazy all of the stuff that they did to get around some of the laws. Like they had the weapons uh, covered up as the guys who um, took the pistols to the site. They had to row across the river and... They had it covered up so they couldn't be accused of being conspirators to this whole thing. And there's a lot to read about as far as what they did legally to engage in this illegal encounter. Yeah. And in all duels, or at least pretty much all duels, they would take their seconds, which, you know, they were they were there mostly to kind of intervene and see if they could stop things. And if not, uh, if if the person who was supposed to duel couldn't duel, they were supposed to step into their place. Those people were there. They had to turn their backs. They would take their own doctors with them. They had their doctors stand and turn their backs so that nobody could say who shot first or who did shoot or didn't shoot. Um, lots of crazy stuff. They're like, we know this is illegal, but we're still going to do it. And really, everybody here is to blame, but we're going to pretend like some people aren't. So <laughs> anyway, all that to say, Hamilton and Burr, Pace off. They both shoot. Nobody knows for sure who fired first. Each side says the other side shot first, but they do know for sure that there was at least a three or four second interval between the first shot and the second shot. And they definitely cited those things. Yeah. So Hamilton's shot misses Burr, but Burr hits Hamilton in the abdomen above his right hip and it pierces Hamilton's liver and spine. And Hamilton was evacuated back to Manhattan, where he lay in the house of a friend, 
and he receives visitors, including clergy. He gets baptized, so he's making sure all of his bases are covered. And Burr was charged with multiple crimes because Hamilton dies the next day. And Burr gets off. He's never tried in New York or New Jersey. He runs off to South Carolina where his daughter lives. And he quickly goes back up to Philadelphia and then goes back to Washington to complete his term as the vice president. It's really interesting with the duel, Jason, because a lot of people like to say that you know Hamilton intentionally missed Burr because there were a lot of letters that he wrote beforehand saying he he wasn't going to shoot. And, but at the same time, they think maybe he had tampered with the guns so it was easier to pull the trigger. Uh, he wore his glasses so that he could definitely see. It's entirely possible that he shot up on purpose, but most people, whenever they would duel, would if they didn't want to shoot the other person, they would shoot into the ground. Um, so, like, there's a lot of things that say Hamilton might have shot, and he also might not have, but Burr definitely shot on purpose at Hamilton and killed him. So, yeah, that's that's a bad rap to have. Yeah. Can you imagine going back to Washington as the vice president and being like, yeah, I just killed one of the founding fathers, but... Whatevs. <laughs> I'm going to finish out my term. Can you imagine like your lunch break? Like all the other founding fathers are sitting around just kind of staring at you. Like, I don't really want to sit with Aaron Burr anymore. I know he's the vice president and all. Yeah. So after he leaves the vice presidency, he goes out west. Um, he goes down the Ohio River Valley and goes down to the Louisiana Purchase and he leases like 40,000 acres of land and down in the part that's now called Louisiana. And he does all kinds of crazy stuff, including allegedly trying to overthrow Spanish power in the Southwest. And he's just doing all kinds of crazy stuff out West. And then um, he gets charged with treason so at one point, somebody reveals to Thomas Jefferson, who's the president at the time, what Burr's doing and all this kind of stuff he's getting into. And Jefferson, uh, he already didn't really like Burr. And, you know, it seems like he's doing some nefarious stuff, declares him a traitor and issues an order for his arrest. And Jefferson puts some federal agents on his trail, probably like Walker, Texas Ranger and stuff. Um, <laughs> Burr. Turned himself in to the authorities two different times. Judges said, yeah, everything you're doing is legal and um, you're good to go. And instead, Burr still had to keep running because Jefferson did not pull the warrant. Yeah. So Jefferson is really hot on Burr's trail. I mean, Burr's going everywhere. He's going to uh, the Mississippi Territory the part that's now Alabama. He gets thrown into jail because he turns himself in. Uh, he's treated pretty well while in jail. And then he goes, Burr, uh, goes and tries to help Mexico overthrow Spanish power. And then uh, Burr intends to found a dynasty that would have become the former Mexican territory which was a misdemeanor, by the way, because there was the Neutrality Act of 1794, um, 
and that involved Congress um, saying you cannot have expeditions against U.S. neighbors. So, yeah, keep peace, people. And Burr wasn't about keeping peace. So Burr gets brought back on the charge of treason. He gets arraigned four different times for treason before he actually gets indicted by a grand jury. And there's a piece of physical evidence, but only one that gets presented to the grand jury. And this is a a supposed letter from Burr that talks about maybe the idea of stealing land that was obtained in the Louisiana Purchase, which, by the way, TJ has a very special attachment to the Louisiana Purchase land. And (laughs) while they're examining the letter, they find out it's not written in Burr's handwriting. And Wilkinson, who had the letters, like, oh, no, no, I, I made a copy. I lost the original. And so the grand jury's like, yeah, this is, we're not using this. What are you kidding me? And um, since there's no witnesses and there's no real evidence, things get thrown out and Burr is not tried any further. Yeah, all of this is really interesting because here you have the president and he's like throwing everything that he possibly can to get. Burr convicted, but Burr doesn't because he isn't really breaking any laws according to the good judge, uh, John Marshall. So it really was a test of the separation of powers aspect of the Constitution. So Thomas Jefferson doing everything that he could do to convict Burr But the judicial branch was like, uh, sorry, TJ, no luck there. So needless to say, Burr's hopes for uh, any further political careers are basically done. Like, it's not going to happen. So he goes to Europe. He tries to get back some money. He's in a bunch of debt. He lives there for about four years. And he, uh, he makes some friends. He does some stuff. And then eventually he comes back home to the United States and goes under the name Edwards, which is his mother's maiden name. Remember the the Edwards family? We talked about that. And basically he does this to, you know, not have to pay his debts. Yeah. He's doing his thing. He keeps on living. (laughs) Adopts a couple of boys, actually. He adopts a couple of boys. Um, One is actually thought to have actually been his natural son, but there's no proof for that. And uh, he lives in relative peace, uh, except in 1833. He's 77 years old, and he marries a lady named Eliza, who was a wealthy widow. Uh, She was quite a bit younger, uh, 19 years younger than him. Uh, She realizes that her fortune was starting to dwindle, and she's like, I need to get away from Burr. She separates from him after being married for four months, And their divorce was officially completed on the day Burr died. Crazy. What a crazy life this man led. I mean, there's some good things about Burr. There's uh, probably the most enduring legacy is the fact that he so influenced uh, a lot of the, uh, the processes and procedures that happen to this day in the U.S. Senate. Um, So that's a good thing. Well, I mean, that's the maddening thing about Aaron Burr is that in much of what he did, you kind of can't blame him. Like, you know, he was he was doing his job. He was doing what he thought was right. And 
in other parts of his life, you're like, what, what the heck are you doing, man? Like, you're just a weird guy. Yeah. And there's some things about his character as far as how he treated women. There were certain women that he respected and revered. However, he was known for carousing and paying for sex and everything. So, um, definitely a mixed, a mixed bag there. Uh, it said that towards the end of his life, Burr seemed to have a little bit of remorse for the whole thing with Alexander Hamilton, um, you know, for the whole killing him thing. And uh, it would have been nice if he had a little bit of remorse, like right after he did it. But uh, it seems like it definitely came many years later. Yeah. One of the most enduring legacies, whether you think Aaron Burr was awesome or horrible, uh, was the 12th Amendment. And that amendment let votes be cast separately for president and vice president. Of course, we have an episode about the 12th Amendment that you can look up. But um, despite him being so well known for the duel that he had with Hamilton, uh, the 12th Amendment can really be attributed directly to Aaron Burr and how much he didn't get along with anyone. Yeah. <laughs> yep. All right. Well, uh, thanks for getting along with us. We really appreciate it. And if you want to keep hearing more, let us know. Tell us about it. Uh, we want to hear feedback on what kind of stuff you like. If you're liking these biographies, we're going to keep doing them. If you want to leave us a review, that'd be great. But an even better direct connection to us is on Twitter. You can just shoot us a tweet that says, hey, I like what you're doing. Hey, I don't like what you're doing. Let's change course. And we'd be glad to um, you know, consider those things. Yeah, you can always head over to iTunes. Take about 90 seconds of your time to leave a rating and review. We certainly appreciate that. Absolutely. And we will see you next time. Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit amfam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.